Welcome to our Frontline City Church podcast. This message will activate and inspire you in the supernatural love of God to find your purpose and reach your destiny through Christ. Um, I'm going to open with a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. It says, The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. And if we look at the world around us, if we look on our doorstep, there is nothing actually in the natural going on around the world that is not controversial and that is not challenging beyond what challenges have come, you know, in, the, in our past. It's worse than it's ever been if we look in the natural. That includes South Africa. And in, if we look at the alarming increase in suicides alone and the ages that are dropping, where there are suicide attempts and completed suicides, it's a proof that people have become hopeless. And it's our job as the Church of God, the body of Christ, to be able to spread hope to those around us. And I'm just going to share some treasures and ways we can do it without being over the top, without being fake, and without coming across as though we're just doing it because it's a duty. So the government cannot restore hope, neither can our politicians, and neither can we as individuals. And it's only us as children of God where we are going to be relying on him to give us hope that we can spread that hope. And uh, people will know when we're faking hope, you know, and the, the first thing is we need to find our hope in the Lord. And we've all as individuals been instructed to play a part, as I said, in bringing a new sense of hope into our community, into some parts of our families, into the people we work with and the people we come into contact with. So Jesus gave us all a mandate. He gave it to his disciples in Mark 16, and he's given it to us. We are all disciples of God. If you're a child of God, you're a disciple. And in Mark 16, verse 15, in the New, New, New Living Translation, it says, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. And um, I don't know if you heard there, he doesn't say when you're ready, if you feel like it, if you're comfortable doing it, go. He says, go. That means it's a command. And um, we need to, there's three reasons, okay, that Jesus came into the world. The first was to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. It was to heal and it's to restore mankind's relationship with God, which was destroyed at the time Adam and Eve, uh, you know, fell into sin. So God didn't ask his disciples. He instructed his disciples when he said, go and do likewise. And um, we, that a mandate, sorry, is an official order to do something. If you're in the army and we say we're in the army of God, you may not you know, refuse to actually carry out an instruction, to carry out an order. So each one of us, as I said, is a disciple. So all of us are called to go. We're not called to be comfortable. We're not called to be able to go into strange places. We're not always called to be comfortable in what we have to do to be able to be obedient to God. So regardless of our gifting within the church, we must all first be an evangelist. 
We don't need to be in the office of an evangelist like Evangelist Freddie, but we are all told to go and evangelize those around us, and that's how we spread hope. All right. So there are many people who are afraid to come to church, unfortunately. And if you look at the old-fashioned evangelism, the church of God in general has made it cheap because we speak one thing, but we behave a different way. And very often that's the same in our, com in our community. If you have a look at the number of drug addicts, the number of beggars, those guys who do the recycling, if you look at how we speak about our police force, how we speak about our defense force, there's power in our tongue, there's power in our words. So we need to actually relook at how we are seeing our community, the people who are essential in our community. Because if you really think about it, I mean, I've spoken out ways I shouldn't when I get frustrated with law enforcement and with things like that. Taxi drivers, I mean, and you know, they're all part of our community. And we go and show them a sign or shout at them or hoot at them. Next thing they come to church, who are they going to see? Leaders, pastors, you know, and we've got to practice what we've preached because we've ultimately unintentionally made the word of God cheap, made evangelism cheap, talking about God loving everybody. We've made it cheap. And um, we need to, as the church of God, as believers, we've got to build, rebuild bridges that we have broken down between God and our community. So I'm going to chat about a few ways how we can build these bridges, rebuild these bridges that we have maybe broken down or played a part in breaking down. So firstly, to get our character right, we need to show dependence on God. As I said earlier, if we don't have hope, it's going to be noticed by others. You know, the world watches the church like hawks, you know, and we step out of line once. I mean, it's all over the media. And yes, some things deserve to be exposed, but I mean, sometimes it doesn't have to be exposed as it is. But we are being watched and they will notice. We also need to be real, you know, and let people know that we understand their struggle and that we don't have it all together all the time, you know. And um, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with telling your neighbor, no, I'm having a terrible day and I'm struggling because they think, okay, she's real, she's not... You know, up there, this guy's not always got it together. I can share myself, my problems with him. Okay, we also cannot be threatening or judgmental. And that's also where the church, as believers, have also messed up. Because we, when you go and condemn someone for what they're doing, whether it's right or wrong, that's not loving. We've got to win them back for Christ by loving them, showing them an alternate way of living in love. You know, we tend to tackle people, not what's behind it. And that's why the churches in our city, the churches around our country are not filled with prostitutes and beggars and addicts, alcoholics. You know, it's basically full of healthy people, spiritually healthy people. And if the church is doing what they should be doing, it would be otherwise. All right. So we cannot be judged, judgmental. It says here, if one feels accepted and not judged, remember the person. You don't have to accept sin, but you've got to accept the person. That's what Jesus did, right? If one feels accepted and not judged, if they're loved for who they are, 
they will find hope. And if there's hope within us and in our church and in our families, in our community, there will be transformation. And that's what we need to be able to change from being hopeless to hopeful. Be from seeing our country in a positive way instead of saying, I'm out of here, the first chance I get. You know? Sorry, no condemnation. I've thought that time, so I'm just saying. Okay, so four essentials, pillars in, on which we need to build these bridges when we rebuild the bridge between God and us or the community and God. Okay, first we need to have a Christ-like love for the community and the people who live in our community. If we have a Christ-like love, we will automatically have a Christ-like compassion for our community. Without compassion, we cannot love. Without love, we cannot have compassion. Okay, compassion gives us the ability to understand someone else's situation and the desire to take action to improve their lives and enable them to lead fulfilling lives. It's not handing out everything, it's not giving everything on a platter, but it's loving them enough to enable them to change their life and live fulfilling lives. Apostle Maldonado said, compassion has to do with identifying with someone else's pain. It is to take another's place and make their pain your own. And the compassion of Jesus and of the Father motivated Jesus to love the lost and to give up his life to save humanity. Now, we've got it easy. We're not expected to give up our life. Some countries there are. So we still have it very easy in our country, and that's one thing to be very grateful for. Jesus didn't just pray and cry out to God for the souls while waiting for the Father to do all the work. He worked, walked, preached, met the people, trained, anointed, and sent laborers to gather the harvest. And compassion is more than a feeling, and it needs to come naturally. You can't force compassion. You know, and it's when we know and know God, not know about him. When we know God, we will know his love. We will know his provision. We'll know his, what he can do. We will know that he's not a man, that he would lie, and that his promises are true. And that's why we need to get to know God, not his traits, know God. So compassion, as I said, is more than just a feeling. And William Booth, who was the founder of Salvation Army many, many, many years ago, said that while women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While children go hungry as they do, I will fight. While men go to prison in and out, in and out as they do now, I'll fight. Where there is poor lost girls upon the street, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. And that at first was very hard because when I first had to pray for perpetrators of crime when I was working in the anti-trafficking field, I couldn't. I had to walk out. I just couldn't until God convicted me. His blood was shed for all. You know, so who are we to say his blood is not powerful enough to save the worst criminal? And another thing is without Christ in us, we all have the potential to be that rapist. We all have the potential to be that pedophile. So it's God's love is for all, and that's also where we need. If you look how full our prisons are, how many churches are actually going in and doing prison ministry? 
you know, and some of them are believers who've lost their way and landed up making bad decisions, you know, and they feel embarrassed, they feel shame, guilt. I'm not saying that consequences don't need to take place. There is consequence for all action, but nothing disqualifies them from being able to give hope that there is a new life when they get out. So that's the kind of compassion we need. The second pillar we need is love. Okay, not love as we know it when we get something or there's something in store for us if we love. It's a love that suffers long, love that's patient, is kind, rejoices in the truth that Jesus died for all mankind. All mankind. And it's an act of a heart. It affects the soul, our mind, our will, and our body. And it's a decision. It's not a choice. It's not an emotion that we're talking about. Okay. It's not an emotional decision, although it will affect us emotionally. If we see the condition of our world and how little gets done, we can get very emotional about it. But we need to refocus and make the decision. I'm going to love enough to do what I can and maybe pray for our government, pray for Christian government, Christian politicians. There's plenty of them. They've just been very quiet. And it's not impossible to have that happen if the church prays. Okay, so love that we're talking about, it's about investing 100% at the risk of no return. And that's what we've got to do. You can go for years and years and years and think, goodness, why on earth am I doing this? You know, but eventually it'll break, and that's when we earn the right to actually speak into our community. The third pillar is motivation. What's our motivation for going out? And we can go out and go into these big community gatherings, be in the newspaper, we can be on TV, we can be all over the place, but is that our motivation? And we've got to question every, anything we're doing in the name of Jesus. Question why are we doing it? Is it for God? Is it for restoring relationship? Or is it maybe for ourselves? And together with compassion and love, we need to have a deep, authentic motivation. And I'm proud to say, Frontline City Church, our motivation is not and never will be a publicity stunt. Okay? That's why we don't have... Um, reporters, unless they ask can they come or they hear about it. We don't invite reporters when we do community things because that's not what it's about. It's not to build numbers and it's not to show how great we are. We are a great church, but that's not, we're not bragging. <laughs> Below describes why Frontline City Church are so passionate about reaching as many as possible in our city. Mark 9 verse 43 to 44 and I'm going to say this without... <laughs> okay, if, you, if your hand causes you to stumble and sin, cut it off. It is more profitable and wholesome for you to go into life that is really worthwhile, maimed than with two hands to go into hell, into the fire that cannot be put out. And it says where the, worm would, the worms never die. So hell was never created for man. Hell was created by God for the devil and his angels. Yet, if you look at what's happening in the world around us daily, millions of people around the world are going to hell. 
And anyone who understands the reality of hell will have an unnatural compassion for those who are heading there. And ultimately, when you don't have hope, you don't see God. You lose your faith in God. You don't even bother trying faith in God because hopelessness can just overtake us. And that's why if there's nothing else, remember that. Us showing a kind word, us being the vine dresser, picking up the vine branches, cleaning them and putting them back on the trellis rather than cutting them off and burning them, you, gr you, know, you bring a produce of great grapes. And that's what we need to be doing. Stop judging, stop criticizing, pray, and love them back into the kingdom of God. Okay. Prayer and intercession is the fourth pillar I'm going to talk about. There are others, but those for me were the basic four ones. Over here, William Wilberforce, in his conclusion to his book, A Practical View to Christianity, says, I must confess equally boldly that my solid hopes for the well-being of my country depend not so much on her navies and armies, nor on the wisdom of her rulers, nor on the spirit of her people, as on the persuasion that she still contains many who love and obey the gospel of Christ. I believe that their prayers may yet prevail. And if we pull ourselves up, as mom always says to the ladies, put on your big girl panties, get up and fight against what we see. Pray, intercession, not just praying, intercession. And again, on a Saturday night, to have five or six people out of a church of 50 regular members. Look at the condition of our country. That's just a gentle reprimand. Okay, I encourage you. Five to six, it's one hour, power hour. At the end of the incredible book, the movie War, The War Room, Clara, the old lady in the movie, prays this prayer. And I'm going to read it, but I want you to think. When we go out on patrol with the CPF and we drive past Full Moon, we drive past the Chicago's, we don't go to rumors, but we know they're there. And there's all kinds of nightclubs around here and we see the young people not just having a good time, but motherless, trying to get into their cars. These are school kids, eh? They're letting underage drinkers in. They're letting 14, 15 year olds in if they pay them 50 rand at the door. The church needs to make themselves attractive. We've got to do whatever it takes to bring the young people back in. Amen. And that's why this prayer that I'm going to read needs to be our prayer. Because it's only, again, the church that can stop the children from going to these places. They've been shut down for two years. They haven't been able to go see their buddies and their friends. So they're going wherever they can go. And the worst part is they don't wear masks. And they don't go for vaccination, and they're not exactly social distancing, okay? Young people are young people. Okay, so Clara in the, at the end of the book says, Raise up a people, Lord, that will take light into this world, that will not compromise under pressure, that will not cower when others fall away. Raise them up, Lord, that they will proclaim that there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Raise up warriors who will fight on their knees, who will worship you with their whole hearts. Lord, call us to battle that we may proclaim you King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's what we need, our younger generation. And that's not only young adults, 
10 years old, they're already experiencing things they shouldn't even know about. I mean, you've got primary schools causing, calling organizations in to speak about porn addiction before they even get to grade seven. Something's wrong, and the condition of the community is a reflection of the condition of the body of Christ. And we all, nobody's condemned, I'm not condemning, but we all need to actually get that. You know, we can all do something. Intercession alone doesn't bring in unbelievers. It doesn't change our youth. Jesus said that we must go and look for them. First we pray, then we take action. So that's a whole lot of stuff I've spoken about, but what can we do practically? What can we as individuals do to make a difference? And this is just a couple of things. There's lots more. So first thing is we need to embrace and realize that we have a unique community. We've got a very diverse community in every way. And we need to honor and celebrate our diversity one to another. We need to learn from each other. We need to get to know each other's stories. A, we're living in Joburg, so we've got these high walls. You sometimes don't even see who's living next door to you, even in a complex. And so there's no communication there. In the church as well, how many of us know each other's stories? Why is this person, why does Elder Almery love that diligence that she was talking about? You know, whatever it is, we all have needs, but who of us know each other, and yet we've been in the same church, some of us for like 9, 10, 11 years. Do we know each other's story? Have we taken the time? If we're not getting to know each other's story... How are we going to get to know our community members' story, you know? We need to be aware of what's going on in government. I mentioned one or two things here I'll mention. They're getting close to passing legislation that a three- or four-year-old can decide if they want to be a little girl or a little boy, and the parents cannot refuse. They've already stopped children being, uh, uh, parents being allowed to spank their children if they need it. CSEs, the new sex education they're wanting to bring into the schools. And uh, unfortunately, at this stage, it looks as though it's going ahead. Where we're going to have strangers sharing stuff about sexuality according to the UN standards, not according to what we believe our children should be learning. So it means we're no longer going to have control over our children in that area. Marriage laws, abortion laws, already teaching you know, that it's okay. A 12-year-old can go for an abortion without getting permission from her parents. And I'm not criticizing if people have done it. As I said, there's no condemnation, but our children need to be educated on things like this before they're given permission to make decisions. And the same goes when it comes to crime and criminal stats. We've got to catch our children before they become a statistic. You know, and if you have a look at, at night, if you drive around the robots, especially when you go into Hillbra, you've got glue sniffers, they're little, they're little kids. I don't even think they're even halfway through primary school. Who's there for them? So we need to go and read Proverbs 29. I'm not going to read it now, but I'd like you to go read it. And that just speaks about the city, what we need to be doing as believers for our city. So who is our community? I'm just going to say very briefly, it's individuals, which includes the unlovable, 
people we don't find it easy to love. It includes the drug addicts. It includes the alcoholic who's fallen flat on his face because he's had too much drink on the side of the road. It includes the homeless children and beggars. It includes prostitutes, and that's where I want to just mention. I got to know a lot of women who were working as prostitutes, got to know their stories. And I had to repent because until I'd actually met and worked with these ladies, I used to be one of those who said, oh, you know, it's a whorehouse. They're a whore. They're sluts. Until I realized some of them were mothers who no longer had a husband, who had four children in school, couldn't get jobs. I've got to say, what would we do for our children to put food on their beds? And there were very few out of the many, many, many that I spoke to who actually really wanted to be doing what they were doing, but they got stuck in a situation. They were either being pimped or they landed up having to do what they had to do to put food on their table. And then, of course, addiction comes because they can't get out, but they don't like what they're doing. So while I'm saying that, think. Think when we see these things, when we see an addict. It's not a junkie. It's not a piece of trash. He's somebody who's needed an escape. So let's think before we do it. These guys with the, what you call those trolleys that always get in the way, you know? Where would all those plastic bottles, what's going to happen to the rubbish if they're not going around picking it up? And some of those guys have been to school. They just cannot find a job, but they are doing what they can to put food on their tables. So, okay, as we spoke earlier about perpetrators of crime, politicians, reach out to a politician. <laughs> okay, Metro Police, Security Response Office. Think, as I read these, what's our reaction when we see them or we'll talk about them? Emergency Medical Service, firemen, fire and rescue, our Defence Force. Yes, it's different to what it was, but you know what? I don't think everyone who was in the National Defence Force way backwards actually behaved any differently. They just maybe managed to hide it a bit better or there was a bit more rules involved. But we look at it now. Yes, they may not be great, but they're people. They're working. Love them. Pray for them. Go reach out to them and maybe they will see that they're appreciated. And SAPs. How many of us paint every single policeman with a paintbrush because of the corrupt? And this is a harsh question. Another thing that I was challenged with, and that's why I'm mentioning it, is that we in the church paint policemen and policewomen with the same paintbrush as the corrupt. How would we feel, or how do we feel when the media paint all believers with the same paintbrush as those who are trafficking children and making a mockery of Christianity? If we're not speaking love, we're not going to be able to show love. If we're not showing love, we're not going to be able to bring hope. So in conclusion, there's two things. Firstly, Romans 13 verse 11 in the Amplified says, Besides this, you know what a critical hour this is. How it is high time now for you to wake up out of your sleep and rouse to reality. For salvation, the final deliverance is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Adhered to, trusted in and relied on Christ the Messiah. So time's getting short. 
there's an urgency to carry out our mandate. Don't be motivated by emotion and go and rush. But there's no time to sit on our bottoms and just be comfortable. We need to seek God. Go and see. Try things. You can join the CPF on a Friday night for a ride along. Just see what they do. You can go join the police. Go out with the police one day. See what they do. And all these places, even just Susie, I need to commend Susie. She takes all these empty bottles and she refills them with water. And the guys at the robot, she'll hand it out to them, maybe with a verse or with a sandwich. That's all it takes. You don't have to go out into at night and do all these strange things. Just show love. An act of kindness can go a long, long way. The second thing is we need to refocus. And 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16 says, So from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view according to worldly standards and values. That means now we need to refocus. Stop judging people according to worldly standards, our standards, and start looking at them as God through God's eyes. When we see, this is an... um, a quote that a younger evangelist, Daniel Dutoy, mentioned in one of his articles in a magazine. It says, when you see someone according to the value of the price that was paid for them, the blood of Jesus, it takes away all fear. I do not care who it is, he says. People are looking for his love. Everyone is looking for his love. And I'll add there, everyone is looking for hope. And just to close, finally, I just want to share about our trip to New Bethesda. And I'm going to ask um, Yanku if you can. These are three photos I took. Now, they have had rain, but if you look at the Karoo, it's dry. Very dry, and there's mountains. And in this area, because of the bit of rain, there's life in desolation. There's life in the desert. The next one. The dry bones, that reminded me in Ezekiel, you know, the prophets, dry bones. There's lots of dry bones. Our community is full of dry bones. The economic situation in our country, job situation, unemployment, poverty. It's a bunch of dry bones. But let's, let's read God's word and believe his promises. And let's find a way to be able to, in our way, pr- metaphorically breathe life you know, into dry bones, you know. And the prophets in Ezekiel said dry bones live, and they lived. So if we're going to speak into the situation that brings hopelessness, God's going to answer. But we have not because we ask not. If we're not going to ask him to change, we're not going to pray radically to change. He's not. Okay? The third one, and this to me was the amazing one. And... I was half disappointed because I know because there was a crack in the rock. But if you have a look, there's a bush, a green bush, life growing out of a rock. Now, what's, what's more desolate than a hard rock? You know, and that's us in life. And in New Bethesda, I noticed with the people there, it's a small little place. And, wow, people who are hungry, people who are welcoming, You know, it's a community who have been pushed aside over the years, yet they welcome us with open arms. I've never eaten so much in all my life, but it was amazing, you know. But in seriousness, 
There were some of the people there who came into the one, the first night, I think you shared on healing, you know. And people came in, and you know, they say the eyes, the window, the eyes are the windows to one's soul. And you can look at a person, you can look at their eyes, and you know what's going on. And you can see people coming in who were there because they were hoping for something, but that they really believed they were going to get something. And after the, the message that mom shared, it was teaching them that they are worth being loved. And there were some very old colored men who they were hurting. You could see pain in their eyes. You could see lifelessness. There was nothing there. And as soon as they had been given a hug, as they are, there was one guy who was up here on something, <laughs> but they allowed him in. How many churches will chase someone like that out? He was allowed to the front. He got loved. Who knows what his life's like today? And then there was another lady, Georgina, and she was much older, but what a lovely lady, and she shared her she shared her story, and I thought, wow, you're still walking. You're still loving people. You've got nothing, but you're loving others. You're giving to others. And, you know, it was just such a way to see. And around them there's dust. There's dust and, yeah, even the dogs, the sheep and the cows, they're living, but there's dust. There's no green grass. There's no... Lots of rain, there's no taps and dams all over, but there's life living in desolation. So while we as believers who know the power of Christ in our lives, if we allow him, why are we still not seeing that life despite the desolation? And that's what we need to find inside ourselves, and I encourage you with that. Do whatever it takes, spend time with God, and just let's relook at life, let's refocus. And just find the life in the desolation that we're around. Renew our hope so that we can actually go out and spread that hope. Let's pray. Thank you. While I'm praying, I'm going to ask a few people to come up if you would like prayer. Firstly, if you don't know this hope, you've never had this hope. You don't know what it is to have a relationship with Jesus or you've thought you've got to be perfect. You can't mess up. And even if you've really messed up, you know, and you've thought you, there is no hope for you, I'd like you guys to come up. I'd also like anybody who is feeling hopeless and just wants that prayer of encouragement or word of encouragement, I'd like you guys to come up as well. And then I'd like the Ephesians and the leaders, a few of you to come and pray. And you can just one-on-one -on -one pray for those people. But as, we, as you do that, I just want to say, Father God, thank you for your word. Father God, thank you that you are the hope giver. Father God, it doesn't matter how badly we've stuffed up. You died on the cross knowing we were going to make mistakes, knowing we were going to disappoint, knowing we were going to do things that we should never do. Yet that was the reason you gave your son Jesus Christ to willingly die on the cross. So Father God, I just pray for those who 
don't know you or maybe they've known you but they've drifted away and they just need to say, Lord, I'm back in your fold. So Lord, as those people come up, I pray for them. And Lord, I also pray for anybody who's sitting here who is feeling hopeless. Maybe they've got no work. Maybe they've lost their jobs. Maybe they're not getting business. Maybe they've lost faith in you. But Father, I just pray for a renewing in their heart and in their mind that they would once again see where you created all we have out of nothing. And we've got something if we've just got that little glimmer of hope. So Lord, I just pray that you would just be with anybody who needs that encouragement, needs that hope to be reestablished in their life. So Father, I just pray that whether they come up or whether they're staying where they are, that you would speak to them. And Father God, that you would show yourself faithful to them, that you would let them feel your love and give them a new sense of hope. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you all to stand, please. Guys, I want to encourage you, if you need prayer for anything, We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Our services are streamed live on our Facebook page every Sunday morning at 9.30. For more information and resources, please go to our website www.frontlinecitychurch.co.za or look us up on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.